We'll get started here this morning in just a moment. Right before we do, uh, I wanted to take a moment and just give you a quick update about what the Lord's doing at, uh, at Haven in California there. And the Lord's been blessing and uh, God's been doing some great things. And honestly, the past, as you know, the past two years, beginning with COVID and everything that started uh, back in March of 2020 or February of 2020, uh, there's been a lot of challenges involved with, with all of that, of course, and especially living in California. Uh, and I don't think I need to tell you, but there's just a different thing going on in California than there is in North Carolina. And so there's been some challenges, but you know, God's been faithful all the way through it all. And we've watched his hand at work uh, just steadily through, through all of that, and he's kept us uh, right there and, and kept our church moving along. And uh, we haven't seen an immense amount of growth, but what we have saw was just a core of people that stuck together and are growing spiritually and we're reaching out into our community and trying to have an impact in Santa Clarita for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to take just a moment and share a few things with you about what God is doing at, uh, at Haven right now. And first thing I wanted to tell you about was our baptism Sunday that happened on October 31st. Some of you may have heard in one of our recent uh, update letters that we were uh, purchasing a portable baptistry. We, we are currently in a storefront location and we obviously didn't have a baptistry. We were having to use a lot of different things uh, such as uh, maybe the, the hot tub across the street at the, the uh, clubhouse of one of the communities there uh, or we used a, a uh, a hot tub that was uh, near my community where, where my wife and I and my family live. We went down to the ocean. And we had beach baptisms a couple of times. And honestly, when we had have somebody saved and they wanted to take that first step of, uh, that first step of obedience after their faith in Christ, we sometimes were up against uh, some challenges trying to figure out where and how we would baptize them. And so earlier this year, we, had, uh, we took, up, took up an offering to purchase a portable baptistry. And we were able to to purchase that baptistry. And I wanted to show you a couple pictures. Um, and this was on our baptism Sunday. Uh, this was one of our best crowds that we had all year long. We had a really great crowd that day. I wanted you to see this picture because it gives you a perspective of the back part of our church. Calvary had a huge part in helping us expand to a second location, uh, to a second unit. We broke down that wall and we expanded to that second unit. And I just wanted you to see that that unit is being used uh, in, a, in a good way. And we're, we're able to use that in a lot of various ways at the church. But it was, it's being filled on days like this when we had baptism Sunday. We baptized three people on that Sunday uh, at, at Haven. This is Kinsley. And uh, she was saved a while back and then decided decided that she wanted to take that first step of obedience and she was baptized in our new portable baptistry. And this is LaDonna. LaDonna was saved through the ministry of Haven Baptist Church. And great story, I don't have time to go into all of it, but she started attending our church a few months ago, probably close to a year ago now, and she was attending and we invited her to come to one of our home groups and the home group was at my home that night and she showed up real early. And you know how it is when somebody shows up to your house earlier than you plan for them to get there, you're kind of like, hey, great to see you. But in behind you, you know, you're sort of like, not really great to see you. You know, we weren't ready for you yet. And, uh, but, but we welcomed her into our home and I said, uh, you know, how are you doing? And long story short, she just broke down right there in front of me and just said, I don't know for sure I'm saved and I need to be saved. And uh, I led her through the gospel and she accepted Christ and she followed the Lord in believer's baptism a few weeks ago. And we praise the Lord for that. And then 
then this, uh, let's see here. Hopefully I didn't put the same one. I did. There's another picture I was going to put on there, and her name is Josie, another little girl who was saved. Actually, amazing story. We have a, uh, a homeschool cooperative group that meets uh, there at our church, consists primarily of kids who go to Haven, and they meet on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And on Thursday, I preach chapel at our homeschool cooperative group at the school there. And Josie got saved after one of our chapel services at our little homeschool group there. And then she got baptized on October uh, 31st as well at Baptism Sunday. So I'm telling you that to say that that is fruit to your account. Thank you for uh, helping us and for participating uh, with us and for uh, supporting us in that way. Uh, recently, in, during this month of December, the 13th through the 18th, we had something called Show the Love Week at Haven. And uh, we, what we wanted to do is get out into our community and show the love of Jesus Christ to our community and share the gospel with them as much as we possibly could. And so that's exactly what we did. And so I'm gonna share a few pictures uh, for you here. Basically what we did during this special week, each day of the week, we had some sort of a creative outreach in our community, a lot of variety, and we did a lot of different things. Uh, one of the things we did, you see on the screen here, right around our church, um, which we're in a storefront building, and so it's sort of a business shopping center, if you will. A lot of traffic comes through there, and a lot of trash build up and all of that around, not right there at the church, but just in the vicinity of the church. And so one of the things we did was we wanted to serve our neighbors right there around the church. And so our kids, this is our homeschool cooperative group right here, and they all got together and went and picked up trash one day. Uh, and then on the same day, we, we uh, prepared donuts or we bought donuts and prepared boxes to put those donuts in. And we went to all the businesses and in the shopping center where our church is located. And we uh, gave them an invitation to our Christmas service and to our Christmas events. And we gave them uh, a donut. We served coffee and hot chocolate and a lot of different things, just trying to be a blessing to them and also try to share the gospel with them. And this is one of our groups that was helping out that day. I'll go through a couple of these pictures here. Amber and Tay-Tay preparing the, the donuts and the boxes there. And this was our little table that we set up out in front of the church to serve. And it was really cool because uh, uh, we're located, if you've been there, you know this, um, but we're located right beside a dry cleaners. And there's a ton of people who come in and out of that dry cleaners. And so every time somebody would come up, we were able to invite them over to get a donut, a cup of coffee, and invite them to our Christmas activities. And this was a really cool event that we, that we were able to do uh, just a few weeks ago. And then on Friday night of that week, we hosted a Christmas movie night right there in our, uh, right across from the church. There's a little courtyard. And so we set up for that and we invited folks from the community to come out and we showed some Christmas classics like uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas and Charlie Brown Christmas and those, uh, those classics like that. We had a great time together that night. And so a few pictures from, from that night and uh, I'll just kind of go through these and let you see a few of these pictures. They did a great job. And I did want to mention that Hannah and Timothy, who you guys were so gracious to send to us, to be a blessing to us and to help in the ministry at Haven, they had a huge part in setting up for this and getting it ready. And they've really, I want you to know, uh, they've really been such a blessing to Haven Baptist Church. And they've been a huge blessing to Amber and me and uh, just to be able to be, to have some people who are there ministering with us, who have a heart for the Lord, who have a heart for excellence. It was just a great blessing to see them ministering in a lot of different ways and helping us put up, uh, for, uh, put together this event. And then I had to tell you about this and I, I, I gotta hasten because I've got a message that's about an hour and a half long. And so, uh, 
hey, listen, y'all aren't having church tonight. So I get what pastor would normally preach on Sunday night. I get that tacked on to mine, all right? So I get an extra 30, 30, 45 minutes, all right? So I'm only joking. Somebody's running for the door. Brother Chuck, I was only joking. It's all good. So anyway, so I have to tell you a story about what happened. We had planned to, uh, to minister to a senior citizens community uh, that lives, they literally, literally are living right, kind of right behind the church where our church is located. There's an apartment complex and it's full of senior citizens and we wanted to go in there and be a blessing to them. That's what we planned to do. Well, on the day of the event, they shut us down. They said, we can't let you come in. We can't let you, you know, uh, interact with these people due to concerns about COVID and all of that. We were really disappointed, but what we said was, all right, well, what we're gonna do is, uh, my, I told them this, Dad. I said, my dad taught me, my mom taught me, the key word in ministry is flexibility, all right? And so what we planned didn't work out, so we're gonna flex a little bit and we're gonna try something else. And so we took about 10 minutes and had a quick little um, a strategy session on, okay, what can we do to be a blessing? We had prepared these fruit baskets and we had some different things. The kids choir had come together to sing to the senior citizens. And, and so we're like, what are we gonna do? What we decided to do was we decided to go out to our local heroes, the fire, uh, the fire departments that are right around the church. And we reached out to them and asked them if we could come. And they were so welcoming. They're like, please come. And uh, we went, it was so cool. I wish I had a video, you could see it. We took probably like 30 people over to these fire departments and we went in and we were able to serve those firefighters with the, the goodies that we had prepared for those senior citizen people and uh, give them those, you know, those, the candy and the, the gifts that we had prepared. And then all of our kids choir sang uh, in the fire, the fire station there. And our whole church group was singing Christmas carols and the firefighters had their phones out taking videos of us. And uh, they just were so encouraged by that, that act of kindness. And so I wanted to share that with you. I thought that was a real blessing. And so the point I'm trying to make uh, this morning is just simply that we're trying to minister to people and your investment's having an impact. On Sunday night of our Show the Love Week, uh, we did something that we began last year called our Missionary Christmas. Uh, Haven currently supports four missionaries and uh, one of our missionaries is located in 29 Palms, California. And brother Clint Minnick uh, and his wife Maureen, you see them pictured on the screen, they have been faithfully serving there. They planted a church in 29 Palms and they're serving the Marines on base at 29 Palms. And we, we support them each and every month. I invited Brother Minnick and his wife and family to come down on Sunday night. This was last Sunday night, the 19th. And on Sunday night, our church for weeks, we had prepared to buy gifts and all these things for this family to try to be a blessing to them. And so we were able to just show the love of Christ to them and be a blessing and an encouragement to this family who's planting a church in 29 Palms, California. And so anyway, I just wanted to share some of these things. That's our kids choir. I did add that in there. I love, I love that. And that's from our Christmas celebration service last Sunday. And so I just wanted you to know uh, God's doing a great work and it's really, obviously we know it's because of the Lord, right? But also we understand that God uses people. And I wanna say thank you to Calvary Baptist Church for being willing to send Amber and myself out to California to plant this church. Thank you for being willing to support us every step along the way. Calvary has had a huge part in every step that we've taken. 
I think about the step from North Carolina to California. You helped us tremendously move out there. I think about the step we made from going from the hotel conference room over to our storefront unit. You helped in that. To go from one unit to two units, you've helped with that. So many ways along the way, you've been there to be a blessing and an encouragement and a support to us. And I want you to know it does not go unnoticed. And we wanna say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We appreciate it uh, so, so very much. You know, today I got up this morning pretty early and I was thinking about Calvary. Uh, this is home for us, obviously California's home, but this will always be home for us. When I come back and see all these familiar faces, I'm always so encouraged and so blessed to see all of you being faithful and continuing to serve the Lord. But I will say, uh, it's amazing how, how after five, six, seven years of being away, coming back, you begin to notice things that you took for granted while you were here. And I wrote down four things in my notes this morning that I wanted to just commend you on, if I can, as not an outsider, I'm not an outsider. Some of you don't know me that well, but most of you do, and I consider this to be home for me. I was thinking this morning, I mean, this is home for me. It's the place I was saved, the place I was baptized, the place I was called to preach, the place I was married, the place where uh, God used uh, me to kind of nurture me in the ministry, and so this is such a special place uh, for me and for Amber, and we're so thankful for it. But a few things I wanted to say, four things I wanna commend you on, and then we got to get into my hour and a half message this morning, all right? First thing I wrote down is your excellent appearance. I just wanna say great job with this new building. It looks amazing, it looks first class, and I know, that, I know where that comes from. Uh, it comes from the top, and uh, we know you have an excellent pastor. But when, I, but when I walk on the property of Calvary Baptist Church, I'm struck by the excellent appearance of everything. It's just great, and I wanna commend you for doing that. It's not like that everywhere, and you set a standard for others to follow, and so I want Haven to be like that as well, and so great job with that. Second thing I wrote down is the exciting atmosphere. Uh, I am so gr I'm so thankful uh, for the fact that you guys are still shouting, still singing, still praising the Lord, still hearing my dad preach on the live stream. There's just excitement in the air at Calvary Baptist Church, and that's a blessing, and I'm thankful for the exciting atmosphere. Uh, atmosphere. I could go on. The third thing I wrote down was extreme friendliness. Thank you for all the handshakes and hugs this morning and the smiles and you can't help but walk in the door and smile because everybody's smiling at you and, um, and it's just a friendly atmosphere. And the last thing kind of tells with what I've already been talking about is your extravagant generosity. Four things, that, and I'm sure there are many other things, but four things that I think uh, are just hallmarks of Calvary Baptist Church, excellent at appearance, Exciting atmosphere, extreme friendliness, extravagant generosity. Thank you for being that kind of a church, and I hope you'll continue to be that kind of a church. Isaiah chapter seven, in your Bibles this morning, please. What a privilege to stand in this pulpit and to preach the word of the Lord. I'm so thankful for that. And I was joking about my time of my message, but, and I'm not gonna preach that long, obviously, but I do wanna give you a thought from the word of the Lord this morning, and I pray it'll speak to your heart. It's a thought that I shared with our church a few weeks ago, and so I'm gonna preach a message to you today simply entitled, With Us. We just celebrated Christmas yesterday, and so I wanted to give you a message that will help you continue meditating and thinking upon what we celebrated together, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can we stand together, Isaiah chapter seven? We're gonna begin reading in verse number one and we'll read quickly down through verse number 15 this morning. And the Bible says in Isaiah 7, one, and it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, 
the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that resin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go therefore, go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field, and say unto him, Take heed, and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of resin with Syria and of the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it. Let us make a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe... Surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. I sure pray that you would fill me with your spirit and help me to be a blessing to your people this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help me to say everything you want me to say, but nothing that you would be displeased with. And I pray that the words that I speak would edify your people and glorify your name Speak to our hearts now. We open our hearts to the truth of your word. Spirit of God, move in this place today, we ask. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Remove any sin from my heart that might be a hindrance and help us all to have ears that are ready to hear. And I love what Brother Timothy said this morning. Help us to have eyes that can see, not physically, but give us spiritual eyes that can see with faith and trust you for bigger and better things ahead. We ask this together in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. Christmas is a season to celebrate because it represents God's plan for eternal life. How many are thankful for that? Amen. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left heaven and came to a sin-cursed earth with the primary mission of securing our redemption through his death on the cross. According to Hebrews 7 and verse number 26, the Bible says that Jesus became us. He lived the perfect life that we could not live and he ultimately paid the price that we could not pay and he has made salvation available to all who will simply accept that free gift by faith. How many know that's what Christmas is all about, amen? That's what Christmas is all about. I love Galatians chapter four and verses three through five. You might not believe this, but this is one of my favorite Christmas passages in Galatians. The Bible says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption 
of sons. And all God's people said amen for that. The reason Jesus came is so that we could be liberated from our bondage and sin and so that we could be adopted into the family of God. And it never would have happened had he not come and left heaven and come to this earth, lived a perfect life, died the death that he died and shed the blood that he shed and paid the price that he paid. We thank God for eternal life and what we celebrate at Christmas. But I wanna say with all that being said, I want you to understand this morning the statement that I'm gonna put on the screen today that there's more to etern- uh, there's more to cr- the Christmas season than just eternal life. Now we understand eternal life is the primary focus of that. But I want you to understand this today. The message of the Christmas season, the message of Christmas is not only that there's hope for tomorrow, not only that there's hope for eternal life, hear me out this morning, the message of Christmas is that there's hope for today. That's a blessing. The fact that Jesus Christ came to this world, yes, it symbolizes our salvation. When Simeon, you remember the story in Luke chapter two, whenever he took uh, Jesus up into his arms, he said these words, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Praise God for our eternal life that comes through Christ. But I wanna tell you something. Jesus did not only come for you to give you eternal life. I'm gonna tell you this. Jesus Christ came for us to give us abundant life here on this earth today. We're gonna discover today from Isaiah chapter seven and verse number 14, God's plan for abundant life. I'm, I assume probably that everyone in here has already, uh, uh, you, you already know that Isaiah seven fourteen is a Christmas passage. The Bible says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. But I wonder if you've ever studied the context to this familiar Christmas passage. I had not. And so this year in preparation for messages I was gonna preach at Haven, I began studying the context of Isaiah chapter seven and verse number 14. And the first thing I want us to notice about this story, number one, is the serious problem. The serious problem. Now I think that's a fitting way to begin this message today because how many of you understand this morning that we live in a world filled with serious problems? As a matter of fact, as I look across this congregation today with this great number of people here this morning, I recognize the reality today that in this very room there are people who have financial problems. There are people who have relational problems. There are people who have health and career and spiritual problems and on and on and on we go. And I think we can all agree with Job that man that is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. And some of us may think, man, that seems awfully pessimistic but the reality is it's realistic. Life is full of problems. But I love this quote that I read as I studied for this message from uh, the motivational speaker named Steve Maribali. He said, happiness is not the absence of problems, it is the ability to deal with them. If you were looking, if you came into church today hoping that I was gonna give you the remedy to completely make your problems vanish away, you're gonna have to go somewhere else to hear that message. And by the way, let me just give you a little side note right here. If you ever walk into a church and a preacher stands up and says, I'm gonna tell you how you can eliminate all of your problems, you better turn around and run the other way as fast as you can. Because the reality is in a sin-cursed world that we live in today and living, uh, living in a sinful society, we are gonna encounter problems in this life. And so it's not a matter of can I get rid of my problems, the ma- it's a matter of how do I deal with the problems that I'm inevitably going to have. 
And I'm gonna do my best to use this passage to help you with that today. In our text passage, what we need to understand is that there's a man who has a serious problem. This man's name is Ahaz, and he's the king of the Jewish people in the southern kingdom called Judah. And by this time, which is approximately 734 to 732 BC, the nation of Israel has been divided into two separate kingdoms. You have the northern kingdoms, the tribe, the ten tribe, uh, the, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes in the north referred to as Israel, and you have the southern kingdom, the two tribes to the south referred to as Judah. And Ahaz is the king of the southern tribes of Judah. He's the third king to reign during Isaiah's prophecy. In chapters one through five, uh, we find events that are recorded during the reign of Uzziah, the king of Judah. In chapter six, we find the events recorded, the prophecies recorded concerning the events in the year that King Uzziah died and his son Jotham began his short reign. But now in Isaiah chapter seven, there's the son of Jotham on the throne whose name is Ahaz. And Ahaz has a serious problem on his hands. What's the problem, you might ask? Well, the problem is, letter A, the plan. The plan. We find the plan, and we read about it just a moment ago in verses one through two, and in verse number six. What we find in these verses is that, is that there is a plan in place to overthrow Ahaz, the king of Judah. The Bible says, notice in the Bible, in verse number one, and it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Notice that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but they could not prevail against it. Notice this. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is another name for the northern tribes of Israel. And so the northern ten tribes of Israel have formed a league with Syria, and they are going to conspire together to overthrow Ahaz, or the southern kingdom of Judah. The first thing I wanted to kind of to help us understand what's happening here, let's pause for a second and understand what Ahaz is feeling in this moment. Uh, have you ever had somebody who maybe conspired against you? Meaning that without your knowledge, they were planning to cut you out of a deal or planning to take advantage of you in some way. How many of you know, if that's ever happened to you, that does not feel good when somebody is conspiring against you. And that's what's happening in this text. Verse one tells us that this is not the first time it happened. In fact, the Bible says that they could not prevail against it. And so it kind of infers there that they were trying again and again and again to overthrow Ahaz and his two uh, southern tribes of Judah. And at this point in the message, I think it's important for us to pause and understand two important words that are found in verses one and two. I want you to put your eyes on them. First of all, it's the word Jerusalem, Jerusalem. What we need to understand about Jerusalem is that it is called the city of God, the holy city, Jerusalem is a city that is built on two mountains, Mount Zion and Mount Moriah. And Easton's Bible Dictionary said that Jerusalem is a mountain city enthroned on a mountain fastness. It's notable in our message today because it's the place where God had chose for Israel to place the temple. It is God's, it is the place where God's presence would come down. And in addition to that, in the not so distant future, listen to this, Jesus Christ will come to rule and reign in the city of Jerusalem. It is the city of God. It is the holy city. And this is the city that these two kings are conspiring to try to overthrow. 
The Bible says in Psalm 68, verse 15 and 16, the hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, and high hill as the hill of Bashan. Why leap ye high, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desireth to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. Now, I know this might feel a little boring, but I promise it's very important to the context of our story. God had chosen the place of Jerusalem to be the place where he would have his throne. And that leads us to the second thing. Did you notice in verse number two, we see the word, the name David, but we also see the name, the, name, the house of David. And what's the big deal about that, Pastor Zach? Here's the, here's the big deal about that is that God had, God had established something called the Davidic covenant. And I won't take the time to read it, but in 1 Chronicles 17, 11 through 15, God makes a promise uh, to Solomon, uh, really actually to David. Uh, God makes a promise to David and he tells him that he, he said, I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. I will not take my mercy away from him. The point I'm trying to make is this, and come on, lean in with me for a second as we try to get something from the word today. These two kings, Pekah and Rezin, were trying to scheme together to overthrow the city of God and the throne of God. And how many of you know it's one thing if you conspire to overthrow the cities and thrones of men, but it's another thing altogether to try to overthrow the city of God and the throne of God. I think about uh, in Acts chapter five and verse number 39, Gamaliel said, but if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, but lest happily ye be found to fight against it. But apparently these two kings named Pekah and Rezin had made a firm decision in their hearts that they were going to overthrow the king Ahaz and the throne of Judah and Jerusalem. Verse two tells us that it was told the house of David that Syria is confederate with Ephraim. So what was their response? God had made a promise. They hear about this plan that these two kings are gonna overthrow the kingdom of Judah, the throne of David. What, what, what was their response? Was there faith in their hearts? Was there confidence that God would be able to preserve and to protect based upon his promise? I'm afraid not. What we find in letter B is the panic, the panic. We see in verse number two, the Bible tells us, you'll see it on the screen, that his, this is Ahaz, Ahaz's heart was moved. Interestingly, the word moved means to quiver and to shake. It means a general panic. Have you ever had something happen that caused you to go into a full-blown panic? I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you this. Some of you may already know this, but I am a, I am a panicker. I'm not the kind of person that in the moment of crisis just kind of collects myself and does everything. I, I could never do the work that some of you do uh, as nurses or in that, in that role of trying to minister to people who are bleeding or in a bad way. I would just be pacing the floor and running around wondering, what, what do we do? But you know what really what's happening in this text is exactly what I just kind of referred to. Ahaz, instead of stepping back and realizing God had made a promise to protect his city, God had made a promise to protect his throne, rather than leaning in and trusting and, 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 and resting in the promises of God, the Bible says that he flew into a panic. His heart was moved. Did you know that in all reality, and you do know this, I'm sure, but it's proven that one of the worst things you can do in a moment of crisis is panic. But 
That's exactly what happens in our text today. I looked up that word panic, and it simply means sudden, uncontrollable fear or anxiety. Now, I'm not talking about general fear. I've thought a lot about this, and I really believe that God has gifted us with the, the gift of fear. Let me explain what I'm talking about. God has allowed our bodies and created our bodies with the ability to have a certain level of fear. Fear makes us aware of our surroundings and causes us to be cautious. But while fear, I believe, is a good sense to have in context, let me tell you this, fear is a very poor leader. Fear is a very poor leader. When problems come into our life, hear me out this morning, I'm going somewhere, so stay with me and and we'll get there together this morning. When, When problems come into our life, we either choose two things, one of two things. We either choose to fear the circumstances that we're facing or we choose to fear our creator. That's our choice. We either choose to fear God or we choose to fear the problem. And in this text, Ahaz and ultimately the people choose to fear the problem. And I wanna tell you something, listen to me this morning. Panic is contagious. Look at your Bible in verse number two. The Bible says Ahaz, his heart was moved. But look at this. And the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. You know what the people of Judah needed in this moment? They needed a leader, a godly leader, who would stand up in that moment and say, wait a second, I know we've all heard that Pekah and Rezin have formed a league and they're coming up against us to overthrow the kingdom. But everybody stand still for a moment and listen to me. God has made a promise. His throne is secure, his city is secure. I don't know how this is gonna work out, but here's what I know. We have a God who is able to do anything and we can trust in him. That's what they needed. But what they got was a leader who when he heard about a problem began to fly into a panic. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that their hearts were moved as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Have you ever been able to see somebody who's visibly panicking and they kind of begin to just quiver? They're so scared about the problem. That's exactly what is happening in the story this morning. Ahaz and his people are in a full-blown panic. But then we see, and I've got to go quickly, we see the prophecy. Stay with me, verse number three and four. Now, when I say the word prophecy, I have a feeling that for most people, they immediately think of somebody who's foretelling the future. Somebody's foretelling future events that are gonna happen. But did you know that's not always the primary role of a prophet? The prophet was used by God to foretell future events. But listen to this, the prophet was also used to foretell The difference is foretelling is telling people about future events. Foretelling is saying, hey folks, this is what God has to say about this current situation. And the Bible tells us that God tells Isaiah, look at verse number three, go forth now to meet Ahaz. Thou and Shear Jashub thy son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field and, and say unto him, take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be Faint hearted. Now, the first thing, Brother Looney, I could not help but notice about this passage is that, listen to this, God knew exactly where, I, uh, where Ahaz was. Aren't you thankful for a God who is aware of where we are today? God went to Ahaz and said, Ahaz, I'm going I'm to give you specific turn by turn directions to get to this king who is in a full blown panic. 
How many are glad this morning, and I gotta make sure I stay to my message or we will be here for an hour and a half this morning. But how many are glad we have a God this morning who knows exactly where we are today, amen? He knows exactly what we're facing. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what's happening in your body and in your mind and, and, and in your soul today and in your marriage and in your finances and at your job. There's a God in heaven who knows exactly where you are. He tells Isaiah, Isaiah go down there and he specifically tells him to the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. But I want you to notice what he tells, notice the message that he gives to Isaiah to give to Ahaz. He says, take heed, be quiet, fear not, neither be faint hearted. Now let me try to give these to you quickly this morning. I'm gonna give you a, a, a fourfold uh, a fourfold recipe this morning, if you will, for dealing with your problems. Number one, you can write these down and it'll help you this morning. Number one, look. The first thing God told Isaiah to tell Ahaz is to take heed. Let me tell you what this means. This will help you. It means to look narrowly. Look narrowly. What was happening in Ahaz's life and in the life of the people of Judah is they had their eyes going like this. You see what I'm saying? Look at all these, look at, look at what's happening. Did you hear about the plan? Did you hear about Pika and Resin? Do you know how powerful they are? Do you know how likely it is that we are gonna be overtaken? We're gonna be destroyed? And, and Isaiah says, hey, Ahaz, look at me for a second. God has a message for you. Take heed, look narrowly, put on some blinders. God says, I want you to look right here at me for a second. I've got everything under control. No need to worry, no need to panic. I've made a promise and I'm gonna come through on my promise. I'm gonna tell you what this morning, folks, if we're not careful, we'll begin to do just like Ahaz and the, like the people of Judah. When problems come into our life, this is what we begin to do. We begin to look around and see, oh man, look what the doctor told me about this health condition that I've got. And look what's happening in my marriage and look what's happening in our world politically and look what's happening in our world financially. You know what we need to do sometimes dealing with our problems? Take heed. Take a narrow look at the Lord. Because you know what? Listen, there's not a God up in heaven this morning who's panicking, pacing back and forth, wondering, what am I going to do about the fact that the election didn't go like everybody was hoping that it would go? What are we going to do about the fact that there's coronavirus still? And now it's not only coronavirus, now it's the, the different varieties of coronavirus. And it's like, it's never going to end. There's not a God in heaven who's pacing back and forth, worried about what he's going to do. You know, we're gonna, we can look and say, hey, God's still on his throne. He hasn't changed. He's, he's still the same God today that he was yesterday and he'll be the same God tomorrow that he will be forever. Take heed, look, all right, and here's the next thing. Listen. He says, uh, the Bible says, he tells him to listen, look at it, be quiet. Take heed, be quiet. Now, listen, I, I wanna help you with this. First, I want you to know that God cares about you and he cares about the problems that you're facing. The Bible says, that we can cast all of our care upon him because he cares for us. And what I'm saying, I'm glad to report to you this morning that there's a God in heaven who loves to listen to you. One of the blessings of salvation is that we have direct access into the presence of God and we can pray and, and talk to God. And that's exactly what he tells him. He says, wait a second, I want you to look I want you to listen. So yes, we pour out our heart to God, but listen to this. Once we've poured out our heart to the Lord, then we need to open our ears 
to hear what he has to say about our problems. I've got too many things I wanna to say today. But dad, I know you know this is true. If you've ever done counseling, what I've discovered many times, and don't take this the wrong way, but it's just the truth. A lot of times when you do counseling, quote unquote, what you're really doing is just listening. And you sit down with the person and for about an hour they unload and unpack all that's going on in their life and as dad has said many times, you just sort of sit there and go, wow, yeah, how about that? And you listen and you're genuinely interested and concerned but you're letting them do most of the talking. But Brother Looney, what I've discovered as a pastor is most of the time people just wanna use you as an opportunity to pour out their heart. And when they get to the end of the hour of pouring out their heart, they're like, okay, time to leave and go. And about that point, I'm saying, well, wait a second. I sat and listened to you for an hour. Now let's turn the tables around and let me talk to you and share with you about what you can do to work on these issues that you're facing. You know, I believe sometimes we do the exact same thing with the Lord. We pour out our heart to God about problems that we're facing, but we never get our Bibles out and say, now God, I've poured my heart out to you. Now, Lord, I'm gonna be quiet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop talking for a few moments and I'm gonna listen to what you have today. Lord, speak to me and tell me what you wanna say to me. And that's what God tells uh, Ahaz through Isaiah. He says, take heed, look, be quiet, listen. But look at this, come on everybody, lean into this. He says, number three, he says lean, fear not. Let me tell you what is not happening right here. I may not get past this first point this morning, all right? But if, if I don't, then I'll come back next year and preach part two, okay? <laughs> but I hope this is helping somebody this morning. You know, one of the worst things you can do to a person in panic is say, chill out. Men, look at me for a second. Don't say that to your wife, all right? If she's in a panic, say, just chill out. Because I'm gonna tell you what that is akin to. That would be like taking a gallon of gasoline and throwing it on a fire. And there's a massive explosion that's about to take place after that. Anybody wanna testify and tell me I'm preaching right this morning? You know I'm telling the truth. If somebody's fearful, it's not enough to look at them and say, stop being afraid. Listen, when somebody's afraid and you say stop being afraid, that does not help them stop being afraid. And so when God comes through Isaiah, he is not saying, Isaiah, stop being afraid. But let me tell you what he is saying. Lean in with me and hear this this morning. What God is saying this to, is, uh, to uh, Ahaz through Isaiah is this. Hey, Ahaz, you have no reason to be afraid. There's a big difference in saying stop being afraid and you have no reason to be afraid. Look what he says. You gotta look at this in your Bibles. Look at it with me in, in Isaiah chapter seven, verse four. I'm not gonna put this one on the screen, so look at it in your Bibles. Say unto him, take heed, be quiet, fear not. Look at this, neither be faint-hearted. Here's the reason why. For the tales of these two smoking firebrands. Now, is anybody like me like, what in the world is the tale of a smoking firebrand? I had to look it up and I'll tell you what it is. It's the stump of a burning torch. It's the idea of a match that has already been struck. The fire has already went out, but there's a little bit of smoke that's coming up off the match. You know what God's saying? God is saying to Isaiah, look, I know from your physical perspective, you see smoke and you immediately think, where there's smoke, there's fire. And God says to Isaiah, look at me for a second, Isaiah, I promise you, you see smoke, but there is no fire. I've got everything under control, just like I always have. 
Sometimes we get focused on that smoke and we start thinking, Lord, it's all about to go up in flames. And God just steps up and says, wait a second, close, get a close look right here for me, at me for one second. I'm still on my throne. I know the end from the beginning. I know exactly what's gonna happen in this situation. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us here in verse number, verse number five, uh, let's see here, I think it's verse number five. The Bible says, uh, let's back up for a second here. Let's go to verse number four. Let's see, verse number seven, I'm sorry, I found it now. Verse number seven, thus saith the Lord God, here it is, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is resin, and within, look at this, within three score and five years, within 65 years shall Ephraim be broken. God just inserts a prophecy in here to say, I already know what's gonna happen. 65 years from this moment, I already know what's gonna happen, so you don't have to worry about today. I love what Joseph Benson said. Look at this quote with me this morning. See if I can find it, there we go. Isaiah is sent to them to support and comfort them in their present distress by assuring them that God would make good his promises to David and his house. You know, again, I, I just feel like I could, there's a lot of liberty to preach up here this morning. And I could go on and on, but I know we really do have to go. But you know what? We've been given some great promises in the New Testament. I think about one promise that just comes to my mind right now when the Bible says that God has said he will never leave you nor forsake you. And I'm gonna tell you, we could go over, Brother Looney, I think we could spend the rest of the day just looking through the scriptures in the New Testament finding promise after promise after promise after promise that God has made to his covenant people, to, to those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. And what are you trying to say this morning, Pastor Zach? I'm simply saying this, whatever problems you're facing today, you can rest in his promise. You can rest in his promise. Now I wish I could tell you, I really do. I wish I could tell you that when Isaiah brought this message to Ahaz, that he said, you know what, you're right. We should trust the Lord. God's gonna be true to his word. We can trust in his promises. But I need you to take your Bibles and go with me to 2 Kings chapter 16. I'm gonna show you the, the true reality of the story. 2 Kings chapter 16, verses five through eight, very quickly. If you'll just give me two or three more minutes, I'll try to hurry and bring this to a close. 2 Kings 16, five. The Bible says, so Ahaz sent messengers. I'm at 2 Kings 16, verse five. So Ahaz, that's the king we've been talking about. He's in this midst of this problem. He's heard the prophecy but look what he does. Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, look what he says to this human king. I am thy servant and thy son. Look what, the, look what he says. Come up and save me out of the hand of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. Now, pause right there. Keep your finger in your place right there. But rather than trust God, rather than look to God, listen to God, lean into God, Ahaz chose to put his confidence in man's ability. He chose to try to respond to a man-made scheme with a man-made scheme. And I want you to look at this last verse. It's almost hard to believe. But the Bible says, and Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house, and he sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. 
I mean, after hearing God's word, after hearing that the Lord was gonna be true to his promise, that he was gonna protect the, the house of Israel, that he was gonna protect the throne of David and the city of God, the city of Jerusalem. Rather than trust the Lord, Ahaz decided to confront a man-made scheme with a man-made scheme. Do you know we're just like Ahaz sometimes? Rather than trusting the Lord's promises, we choose to try to come up with our own plan and our own way of doing things and figuring it out for ourselves and trying to decide how can I make everything work out the way that I want it to work out. We see, let me just go quickly here and I'll just give you these points. You'll have to go study them out for yourself later. We not only see the serious problem, we see the sign permitted. Would you look at verse number 10? This blesses me. Because I wanna tell you this morning that we serve a God of mercy and grace. I don't know how you would have responded to this, but if I were God and Ahaz would have responded by taking the treasures out of the house of God, giving it as a gift to the king of Assyria to try to, uh, to coerce him to join a league with him, I would say, you know what, Ahaz, I'm done with you. We're finished. You won't trust me? That's fine. I'll choose somebody else who will who will trust me? But look at verse number 10. Moreover, the Lord spake, what's the next word? Again unto Ahaz. How many are thankful for a God of second chances? There's a lot of preach right there, but I can't preach on it because I don't have time. But do we see, first of all, the command? Let's just do the points. And guys, if you can help me back there, we'll just do the points. And I'll let you see the story, the conclusion of this story, because we're gonna get to Jesus here at the end right now. The command, look at verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, look at this, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it in either in the depth or in the height above. God, in essence, I'm trying to think of how to con con conclude this, but what God does to Ahaz is saying, you know what, Ahaz, I can do anything there is no man that is any match for me, Ahaz. Let me prove it to you. Ask me to do a sign. And, and, and basically, just to kind of get to the point here, a sign is a miracle that is wrought for the confirmation of some message, promise, or doctrine delivered from God. God says, you can ask it in the height. If you want me to do something in the sky, I'll do it. You want me to do something in the depth, in the sea, I can do it. Uh, I've done it before, I can do it again. What do you want me to do, Ahaz? But I want you to look, um, notice the consequences, letter B. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. God only asked for him to believe. But here's the thing, faith was the key. And if he refused to believe, there was nothing that God could do about it. Faith was the key. But look at, look at the choice in verse number 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I'm gonna tell you what, that's a sad statement right there. Now you may read the rest and say, Ahaz says, neither will I tempt the Lord. But what you'll find is that was nothing more than a religious facade that Ahaz was wearing to cloak his unbelief. Ahaz said, I will not ask. I wonder what Ahaz missed in this opportunity. I wonder if another Red Sea miracle would have happened in this moment if he would have said, Lord, I would, I, you told me to ask for a sign. I, this is what I want you to do. I wonder what Ahaz missed out on. Maybe another story of God's deliverance. But regardless, because Ahaz chose not to ask for the sign, that did not limit God's ability. In fact, God says, notice number three, the Savior promised. This is the last thing and I'm done. 
Notice verse number 13. What we find in this statement is that God says to Ahaz, Ahaz, you're not gonna ask for a sign. I'm gonna give you a sign. Look at this. In verse number 14. In fact, we find Isaiah 7, 14 in Matthew 1, 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. In verse 14 of our text, God says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, look at this, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Three things about this promise that I think we find in this text today. First of all, it was a sign that declared the power of God. He said, look, look verse, verse 13. He said, hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary man? The obvious answer to that question is no. It's not hard to wear out a human being. We have limited power. Uh, we can work a long day, um, sometimes not even have to work that hard, and we wear out very easily. But look what he says in this verse. But will ye weary my God also? God does not wear out like men wear out. God has not lost any of his power that he has ever had. He is omnipotent. He has all power. He is able to do anything. In fact, he is able, check this out. This is where Christmas comes into view. He is able to make a virgin conceive. He can do things that are humanly impossible. That was the declaration to Ahaz. Ahaz, you refuse to ask for a sign. You don't believe that God is able to stay true on his promise. I'm gonna give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive. What do you think about that? And what Christmas tells us is that God is powerful. In fact, he is all powerful. Number two, it was a promise of the presence or a sign of the presence of God. You shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus, Timothy said it earlier today, but Jesus, the son of God, left heaven, came to this earth. He shed his blood on the cross. The veil was torn in two so that we could become the priest of God and have access into the presence of God. Not only that, but we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within our bodies today. What a blessing. Last of all, we see it refers to the perfection of God. Butter and honey, verse 15, shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Frank Thompson said this refers to spiritual discernment. I just wanna simply say this. It's a reference, a reference to Jesus. He always chose to refuse the evil and choose the good. And I'm gonna tell you something. There's a God in heaven today who never makes a mistake. That's all I wanna say. There's a God in heaven today who always does the right thing. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're facing physically, emotionally, spiritually today. But what I can tell you is there's a God in heaven who always chooses the right decision. He's a God, the Bible says, his way is perfect. Will you trust him today? Let's bow our heads this morning. Will you trust him today? I'm sorry I had to rush at the end right there, but I needed to get to that last point. Because ultimately, the fulfillment of this prophecy was in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ declares that we can trust the Lord. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to answer this out loud. Are you going through problems right now? What kind of problems are you facing? 
Oh, you say, Pastor, I've got a financial problem that you wouldn't believe. Pastor, I've got a health problem like you would not believe. I'm going through some things. I've got a marital problem like you would not believe, and I don't know how this will ever be able to be taken care of. Hey, we have a God in heaven this morning who's powerful. We have a God in heaven this morning who is present. We have a God in heaven this morning who is perfect. Would you trust him? Maybe some folks ought to just tiptoe down. We're gonna be dismissed in just a minute. We're not having church tonight, so let's not rush the Lord. I wonder if there's some people this morning who have some problems. Maybe you've been trying to scheme together to fix it yourself like Ahaz, rather than trust the Lord, and maybe you'd have to come down to this altar and just kneel and say, Lord, as the old hymn says, give me grace, Lord, to trust you more. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. But oh, for grace to trust him more. Father, I pray that you'd help our hearts to be leaning into you now. And I pray that you'll take this feeble attempt at preaching and help us to be able to apply it in our hearts and lives today. Lord, I pray you would build faith within the hearts of your people. Oh God, help us not to be as Ahaz, doubting your promises. Help us to look to Jesus and remember that you are powerful, you are present, and you are perfect, and we can trust you. Thank you for this time together. Help us to respond with faith in Jesus' name.